So earlier this week, Idrissa Gouai. Problematic that you can't pronounce his name, but go on. (laughs) It is hard. It is a Senegalese name. I am East African, not Senegalese. Um, Refused to partake in his game, uh, French footballer, because their team had the numbers, the the player number in a um, rainbow flag showing support for after rain atmosphere after rain atmosphere absolutely um but also his explicit neglect or his explicit refusal to not wear it is because he didn't want to express solidarity to mark the international day against homophobia biphobia transphobia on tuesday may 17th Mm. and what's been happening right now is a lot of twitter have started a hashtag I stand with the Teresa. Obviously, this hashtag is mostly popular around Muslim fundamentalists or largely just Muslims. Now, he set aside this game where his friends... Is he a Muslim himself? He is. He's a devout Muslim. That's what the media says. Mm -hmm. His team won 4-0 and he was not in the game. Is he the only one who refused to wear the shirt? I am pretty sure there has been previously somebody else who refused to wear it. Um, I don't think he was a devout Muslim, though, like the other person. I can't remember. Um, I think it could be like right wingsters who are like, I'm not wearing this. This is this supports like yeah. gay capitalism. I think. Yeah. But at the same time, I think the, the previous case I was talking about was also Muslim. His manager, Idrissa's manager, confirmed that his absence was due to personal reasons and not because of an injury. So kind of affirming why. It's not like he was kicked out of the game or anything for, you know, not agreeing, but this was the uniform. Now, I think it's important to note that it wasn't the entire shirt that was gay, like gay, geez, the entire shirt that was a rainbow colored. It mm. was the numbers on it. So basically a strip of line. Um, and the hashtags I stand with the Teresa have gone quite viral with a lot of Muslims praising it. To a point where people would burn the rainbow flag. I mean, I don't really care about that. It doesn't hurt my feelings as much as their actions towards people would. But, you know, even further exaggerating what may not have even been his intention Mm, to discriminate. mm, I can imagine a lot of the reactions or a lot of the tweeters and a lot of like the muslim arguments is well this is a part of our freedom a part of our um right to uh, not be okay with something this is a democracy it's a it's fascinating how muslim voices in the west always use democracy and freedom of speech and whatever but how about we visit any Muslim country and try to use democracy or freedom of speech to criticize Prophet Muhammad or to advocate for gay rights or to anything that's not Islamic? What would their reaction be there? Absolutely, my thoughts. Mm. But the reaction from this article has said, by refusing to take part in this collective operation, you're effectively validating discriminatory behavior and rejection of other and not just the LGBTQ plus community, the impact of football on society and the capacity for footballers to be role model for those who admire them, gives them 
gives all of us a particular responsibility. Mm. I feel like that was a bit of a stretch, especially if they're not his words. Mm. I think if I had to look at him as an individual, no matter what his background, refusing to wear something that he doesn't believe in. Now, these are built in, in doctrines that he's carrying along with him. So unless he's actually said those words that I don't believe, um, like I, I won't support this, fine, but I agree with discrimination. I think there's a massive difference to allude that that's what his intention was. Right. But just bringing back to your point about having that freedom to criticize because you don't accept the value, it is quite a bit of a, um, it's ironic. It's mm. ironic because, you know, the burning of the rainbow flags. Personally, I don't really care enough about an object as much as, like I said, I care about how they see individuals and the values they hold that or the actions of their values. Mm. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people who wouldn't expressively go out there to be homophobic. I mean, they would, some of them would, but there are people who wouldn't and still hold those ideas and not act on them. Mm. I, I stand on, on his side, but at the same time, I don't stand on his side. I, I stand with him in terms of that he, I myself would actually be kind of critical to wearing the gay flag and the gay, uh, the rainbow flag. Not because that I don't support the LGBTQ community, but rather because I'm critical to the foundations of the LGBT community being mainly white. Um, there was this great quote by Dark Matter, who's like a trans activist, where I don't agree with most of what he writes, but he once wrote. The LGBTQ com- the LGBTQ community is like cheesecake, white, bland, and rich. I do like cheesecake, though. <laughs> I mean, I um, love cheesecake I as know. well. But um, it's kind of like it's it's kind of inc- exclusive to the the highest classes and the whitest classes and the blandest classes. So, like, you don't have non-white you don't have indian lgbt acceptance you don't have middle eastern lgbt lgbt you don't have african LGBT. you don't see these communities waving waving those flags and i think that the the european countries the very same people who wave the lgbtq flags in the west in britain in sweden in the united states of america are the very same people who silence the voices who say there is a problem within the islamic community that the highest rates of islamophobia and the of homophobia in the world consist in the islamic region as a result of islamic theology so to me like the same people who wave the flag are my you know demons or are my enemies in many in many times oppressors uh, oppressors yeah and people enablers of oppression and enablers of silencing people like you and i so that's why i would be i would be uh, opposed to wearing the lgbt now he has his, his own right because of this faith or whatever and that's i think where we clash is that i also am against his faith as it you know acts today you know Yeah, I mean, alternatively, with the flag, in my experience, I have seen a lot of ex-Muslims, but also Muslims, waving the flag as a, not as a symbol of pride, as much as it is as a symbol of hope. Mm. So it may have been that the white people who started or, you know, established the flag had potentially sparked something in a lot of people who had seen no hope or a symbol. One one of the particular story I remember is of the Egyptian activist Sarah Hargezi. 
Mm. I don't her Gazi. I don't know if you remember, but she was one of the people who raised a flag in Egypt in a I think it was a concert. Mm. As a result, she was imprisoned, tortured, and then finally when she was let out after months of her um sentence, she got asylum in Egypt in Canada. Mm. When she got asylum in Canada, um she obviously found herself to be quite lonely and lost out of like she was tortured in prison mm. ended up committing suicide after a year and that really struck a lot of people like muslim like lgbt muslims ex muslims but especially lgbt ex muslims mm. and it, to me it was like a wake up call to what was happening in the west mm-hmm. right this this girl has been through a lot she's gone to the west she has received little to no support mm. there isn't any consideration for people who have just gotten their freedom but have had no support in mm. the west right. and if they do talk about what they faced you know there's a lot of silence which comes with it it's their culture mm. or it's not something we want to talk about and even out. then during or after her death there wasn't enough um there wasn't enough noise out there about other um lgbt communities in muslim majority countries mm. there was just no responsibility taken from anyone and i remember she wrote a letter and her final like her words and that really hit me was um you know she writes to my family and friends like um i'm sorry for what had happened i know you tried and then to the world oh. you've been cruel um oh, now that. that you say that that i'm reminded of it and it yeah. really really touched me when i read it and i know that for people like her it signified a lot of strength and she signified a lot of strength and she was one of the people who you know to date still holds is is regarded to such a high um i guess a high regard is considered to be such a high regard in people's minds and hearts mm. and then pair that up with the very evident homophobia the mm. world faces islamic mm. homophobia and the uh, ignorance i i love I, i love her and i love her pictures also um i remember when her story went viral her picture was very defining of something to me like it, it like she was very symbolic of the lgbt community in the middle east but this also reminds me of four years ago and like a part of my criticism so like i support the muslims and the non-muslims in the middle east who wave the flag because i, I believe in their fight i'm critical to the to the flag here in the west because i see it as a flag that symbolizes ideologies that silence critics of the islamic theology and Isla- islamic communities I'll give you an example. Nasi Ajram, literally the biggest Arabian pop oh, star. She's amazing. Yeah, she like she's the queen of pop in in the Middle East. And wor- and you know, being the queen of pop means that you're worshipped by the gays and you would not exist without the gays. Just like Madonna, Lady Gaga, Britney Spears, you know. The gays really are the machineries behind these pop stars. <laughs> And women, mostly, but the gays are really hardcore fans of these pop stars. Nasser Ajram resembles that in the Middle East, uh, in Lebanon, Egypt, or most Muslim countries. 
So Nasser Azram came to, uh, hold, to, came to do a concert in Göteborg four years ago here in Sweden in the summer. And in the summer, the gay flag is everywhere, you know, on the streets, in the parks, in the arenas, concerts. In the concert that she was supposed to hold in Göteborg, there were gay flags everywhere, as per usual in the summer. It was June. And before her concert, they had to take down every single pride flag. Was this a request by her or was it other people making that? It was her people. And it was such a big slap on the face of uh, to the gay community, especially because you're a pop star. You would be nothing without the gays. And a lot of people were complaining that this would have been her way to kind of like stand up for, for, for the LGBTQ community uh, silently maybe. You know, maybe do it like... She could have used the excuse that, well, they, you know, it was the Swedish government and it was the Swedish, um, the Swedish society forced me to do this. It would have been like any kind of like excuse that she could have used just to have the LGBT flags. And it would have meant so much for the LGBT community in Lebanon and the Middle East and the Arab world. But she didn't. And... It was a big controversy in Sweden, of course. Uh, when when that happened, a lot of people from the right and the left were complaining about, wait, what? Why would you take down a flag that represents equality? That does not make any sense. But to the Islamic community and the Muslim um, and the Arab community in, in, in the West and the Middle East, it makes a lot of sense. And so I don't understand this like criticism of like the LGBTQ or the pride flag to me is not something that represents LGBTQ activism. To me, it represents white. I was going to say white LGBT activism, and I think it should be more inc- inclusive. I actually have this idea of uh, like uh, when I first moved to Sweden, I also felt a bit this, uh, the same way. And instead of having the LGBTQ, uh, the you know, the rainbow flag, I had the rainbow flag, but I put a black and white filter on it. So you just see like different shades of gray kind of, and it appears to be the gay flag. And to me, I had it that way because it's like it's black and white because it's silent. Nobody's really talking about the most oppressed LGBT people in, in the world. And that's why it was black. And, white. and then it turns out that that's actually the pride, uh, the, the, the flag of the straight pride that it was created as a counter reaction to the LGBTQ uh, pr- uh, flag, which is kind of funny. Again, I, I feel like both of them were... In this case, a lot of um, white supremacy in in many ways. The the straight flag. Why um, would I don't white supremacy? No, I think that's a no, a, a bit of an exaggeration. It would be like because white, not white people, but like heterosexuals are really being shut down now. With, with the current scenario, yes, yeah. with the current scenario, I think historically, oh yeah, um, like thinking about those people who did bring it up, like the, speak- the specific people, mm. I remember this a while ago, were pretty much adamant on, um, you know, kind of going, it's okay to be straight. Not, and, and not for the malicious reason that it's okay, but only to take down yet another movement, which, and the reason I say white supremacy is um, I was just reading this article by Jimmy Bungish on queer majority about how the left is the one empowering Islamic homophobia by their silence. Yep. And 
we see so many cases, especially like thinking about when I lived in the UK, a Christian baker um, refusing to bake a wedding cake for a gay couple and then lawsuits over media and so much attention, so much attention. Yet when these things happen in Muslim majority country, Islamic homophobia, silence. The protest outside the school in Birmingham, where not, not even that when they when the gays are thrown from rooftops, silence. So it's like I wish that you know that they even made an uproar about an imam refusing to <laughs> marry gays or you know refusing to bake wedding cakes for gays. Like that sounds like that sounds like a dream scenario. So our pod colleague, Omar, who is not here again. uh, He'll be joining. He'll be joining us next week. Uh, He was a part of this... um, He was a part of this debate program on uh, Swedish television called uh, Sverige Mats, which means Sweden meets. And uh, the debate, the discussion was about integration. Funnily, there were... There was, uh, in one of the Swedish newspapers, Aftonbladet, the biggest Swedish newspaper, this uh, Samara Naher, who is like a writer who writes about culture, she wrote something critical about why they invited in Bert Carlson, who was kind of like a controversial nationalist, and she wrote Bulletin's homophobe, uh, Omar Makram. And Lars Tradgård, she's like, why are we bringing these people to talk about integration? And... It oh well, who 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 should we bring in to talk about integration if not an immigrant as well? One and two, she didn't even mention him by name. She wrote the bulletin homophobe. She's like trying to degrade him. That's much. That's how much she disliked him. Wait, homophobe? No, no sorry, sorry, Islamophobe. Sorry, um, we were just talking a lot about homophobia, so the word kind of like infiltrated my mind. But anyway, she was she was saying is like, why are we, are are you bringing this bulletin uh, Islamophobe to talk about? integration and this is not just it when i uh, was invited to sverige and i and I, and i had like a discussion about multiculturalism a lot of lefties also wrote the same thing why are you bringing this islamophobe like the exact same formulation why are you bringing this islamophobe to talk about multiculturalism they don't want people that they don't agree with to be heard or seen they just want people like this woman somar uh, somara naher who I wrote a column about, by the way, just wants a panel of eight people who agree with each other, who are leftist, who think Islam is great, it's a beautiful religion, no problems with it whatsoever. She doesn't want anybody to come from like the right wing who would be critical to her leftist ideologies. She wants to have like diff- a, a panel of slightly different thinking leftists that discuss like taxes, and maybe you should raise the taxes there so that integration can work. Maybe you should work on segregation by, you know, financing on other schools. Maybe you shouldn't have, like, um, separated schools, you know. They don't want anybody to be there and say, you know what, no, this whole project is not working out. No. Yeah, I was just Every- going to say, how far has this uh, idea of her panelists agreeing with her worked for the integration in Sweden? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well done. Yeah. It's it's almost as though... And, and you know what's funny? That... A lot of people on the left and would agree with her. Like, why do you have this Islamophobe? Like, they would agree with her. And that's Absolutely. exactly the problem. Mm-hmm. That's exactly the problem where there's no counter idea. 
there isn't a discussion, there isn't nuance, there isn't another viewpoint, because it's so easy for somebody who is, I guess, sympathetic mm. to Islam, not even Muslim, sympathetic to Islam, they would also open doors for Islamists to exist, or Islamist ideas to exist. Right. And, and because we oppose that, we get harsher criticism. Like, especially with ex-Muslims specifically, not only do we get attacked by the right, like, and, and I don't mean right in Sweden, I think it would be center, but like, I mean the American right mm. and um, the Muslim right, or even like the Muslim left as well. Like liberals will go like, yeah, but this is not Islam. Mm -hmm. Or conservatives will go like, you were never Muslims. Right. And we get attacked by the left as well. Like, mm -hmm. it's like we have this own island where our, our opinions should just stay here. Like, you don't represent Islam or you don't, your opinions should not be valid because they don't meet our certain idea or they don't meet our values, mm -hmm. which is exactly the problem. People like her are exactly the people who are empowering the far right. Yep. They're actually giving more um, Power leverage. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They're giving more leverage to uh, Rasmus Palutin to... Mm exists but it's also because like we talked in the previous episode about how the majority of the workers at svt and the swedish public service are lefties this is them like um the, the swedish television is starting to to tolerate right-wingers and they're starting to bring in people who you know who, who don't agree or who could be you know like right-wingers and then and this is a debate program mind you you know <laughs> And when they do that, when they bring more right wingsters who are against migration policies, who are against multiculturalism, who are against the lefties spiral out. They think, "Oh shit, this is the thirty. This is this is Hitler times again." Just because there are people that don't agree with their values, and another problem is that they think that anything that is critical to their worldview is racism. So if they because they believe in you know equality, human rights, and then you're like, well. Okay, I just have uh, different opinions about your human rights, and you know, like I don't think that your the way that you implement your human rights is you know working out. Maybe like if you just don't agree with their worldview, you're a racist, you're a Nazi, you're right doesn't, doesn't it make her racist for calling Omar an Islamophobe, like yep. exactly using the same slurs? Mm, yep. Because apparently. Even even if he is the same race as the people he's talking about, right? Because he doesn't agree with those values, somehow he's an uncle Tom. Her, yep, yep. And her tweets upset me because she's like, "Why are they bringing Bert Carlson and the Bulletin Islamophobe?" So like, my reply was very passive aggressive because I replied to her immediately when I read her tweet. I got upset and then I replied. So I wrote to her, "Should we just let you, Queen Summer, decide who should be on Swedish television instead?" Uh, the quotation mark bulletin islamophobe has a name omar makram diversity of opinions is important for society i know it's hard when other people argue against your worldview but that's actually how democracy works and well done i don't think that was passive aggressive at all that was just pretty much not i was going to say aggressive but no it was pretty much <laughs> spot on right but the beginning was like should we just like queen should we just let you queen summer that was kind of like well, uh, she is acting like a spoiled brat right <laughs> it's true she is acting like a spoiled brat but here's the thing they think that they are uh shutting the door towards nazism and you know if she was right if Omar Makram and Bert Carlson were representing future concentration camps 
then she would be right. But here's the thing. Omar Makram and Bert Carlson do not represent future concentration camps. And what they think that you have to shut the door, and that's an argument they always bring up, like, oh, but people tolerated Hitler at first. So why should we tolerate these people who just say slightly racist things? That uh, blind analogy or comparison is quite stupid. It's, yeah. it's, it's really stupid. It's humiliating. It's really stupid. It also ignores the plight of many other ex-Muslims or Muslims, people from Muslim backgrounds who want the change, who want their parents to integrate, who want a different life. I mean, they didn't they didn't leave their countries, the Muslim majority countries, to yet again establish a similar law here, contrary to what a lot of Swedish Muslims or Islamists believe that you know Sweden needs Sharia law. They're not. They're not going to be the ones who are going to be living under that. Mm-hmm. A lot of Muslims don't, wouldn't want that. Even though you know we've been told this idea that Sharia law is good for you, I don't think when it comes to translating that to what's happening in Afghanistan, in Egypt, in Saudi Arabia, that that's a country that they would want to live in, which is. Which is really, I find it really hilarious that, you know, she just wants to kind of open those doors. I don't think she would be a news, she would be writing anything if that was the world she would, she's vouching for. Mm-hmm. Afghanistan, journalist, women, working, no, let alone working, you cannot leave the house without a burqa. Mm-hmm. It was established about a week ago. You cannot leave the house. And if you do, they'll first punish you, call your male members, and then on the third warning, they'll punish your male members. Mm. There's no other future um, punishments established. And obviously that includes jail time as well. They'll jail, they'll, they will, it's, uh, they will arrest your family, male family members for not keeping the women in control, like in in check, sorry, and controlling them. Mm. But the thing is that the most Like, she is very aggressive in the way that she expresses herself and her disdain of, you know, the bulletin Islamophobe. It's because, and, you know, it might be kind of, like, foolish of me to make this assumption, but I'm just going to make it. She is, you know, of immigrant background. Her name is um, Somara Naher, so she's probably from Iraq or Iran or somewhere in the Middle East. And there's a complex that's, that is that that is birthed with immigrants from the Middle East who are born in Sweden because they, or were born, she's old. She looks like she's in her 40s or 50s, which means she, was, she came to Sweden very early on in the 70s and 80s, or she was born here back then and was woven into the society. Her mentality is Swedish. She talks like a Swede, but she was discriminated against growing up because she looks Arab and she, you know, she has a different background. And she has built this resentment towards the Swedish society. And it ends with this kind of like aggressive attitude towards everything white, everything Swedish. And like, I am equal even though I am Arab. I am equal, even though I have Muslim parents. I am equal, and I am as worthy, and so is everybody else who comes here. And it's like, okay, sweetie, yes, you are equal, and so does everybody who comes here, but you can't deny the consequences of the issues that, that are brought upon here. And people like her, when they visit like Iraq and Syria, 
having been born and raised here, they see like only the shallow parts of the oppression. They don't really understand how it's like to grow up there, to be a part of this systematic oppression that happens on a daily basis because of their religion and the society. So she tends to think that she sympathizes and has empathy towards these people while we who speak of these issues very fervently we are hateful and we just want these people to die it's kind of like that that's one of the attitudes and i see this a lot from immigrants who are born in sweden i mean you can't call them immigrants if they're born here but like uh, um Swedes who are born to immigrant families, they have this extremely aggressive anti-Sweden attitude that really pisses the hell out of me. And as someone who came to Sweden recently, I can't relate to, to, to what they've been through, but I can see how they have this complex of immigrants who come here and talk about uh, how Sweden is destroying itself because of migration. They're kind of like the worst thing to exist they hate people like me and like omar and like hanif bali more than anything else in the world do you think it's because you look like her or when, when i say look i don't mean yeah. like physically yeah, 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 but yeah. because you have a similar cultural background so when you talk yes. or omar talks he has a bit more leverage he has like identity mm-hmm. politics yeah exactly. yeah right identity politics so he has a bit more leverage mm-hmm. or would be heard more than somebody who has not had to face that Absolutely. or has not studied islam even though it's not it's not that you have to be born to study there are many you know muslims that had not studied mm-hmm. um or have not studied mm-hmm. but also so many people who have studied and have never been muslims Mm. but i feel like it's always that they find us to be a threat because they know people will listen to us Mm. and that it would invalidate their view 100 percent which is which is so hypocritical of um which is so hypocritical of her living in a democracy enjoying all the benefits i'm not saying or invalidating that there are people who are genuinely racist or there there was a point in some in you know a lot of young kids Mm -hmm. from immigrant families being born and being discriminated against Mm -hmm. um and that would aid to a lot of traumatizing experiences for them to create that worldview at the same time advocating for that to continue and in like i guess advocating for you know um this separation of society that you know they're like oh yeah let them just come in fine but then let them stay the way they want to let their daughters grow up being discriminated against by their own parents not having the same rights that other mm. non-immigrants mm. would have because of their culture and talking about it is blasphemy yeah you can't talk about it because you're racist you don't understand their culture why 